right. Well, these past two weeks, we've been in our series called Lost and Found, and uh, the series came to me back in the fall of 2021 and heard a song called Homecoming, which we've done a few times uh, by the church called Bethel. And uh, as I began to hear the song, uh, God began to kind of put in my heart, certainly, that he wanted to share with us and wanted us to teach and wanted me to teach on his heart for the lost. And so that's where and how this whole thing was birthed. And I take that, and the reason why I say that to you is how it got started, because I think with all that's happening within our world, I think there's no greater time. Uh, I mean, obviously, any time has been a good time, but certainly it seems prevalent today. Uh, the need to share the gospel, the need to share the gospel, I think is great and significant. And any time you think about end times or things that might be getting closer, just by the way, they're always getting closer, you know, uh, but there's just the need to share the gospel with people. And for me, it's where I've been sitting in, in the presence of the Lord, where he's just been revealing to me more and more and more the need for you to share the gospel with those around you. Notice I didn't say just invite them to church. I said to share the gospel, to share your story with them, what God has done in your life. So I hope that this series encourages you to be people who love to share this gospel, to love to share this good news with people. And so we're going to listen in to what the Lord has to say and uh, grateful for his word. Amen. All right, so to start this, I want to show you a few photos and uh, just kind of a little bit of participation. You just tell me if these things bother you. So I'll show you the first picture, and it's a, you're, do you, does this bother you? Anyone else? I mean, have you always noticed? It's always trucks, too. Have you noticed that? And uh, big trucks, and they try to take, please don't ever do that, please. And uh, just, I can't stand people who do that. All right, let's move on to the next. All right, okay. How about, does that bother you at all? On your phones at, at a dinner table or something like that? How many of you have recently gone out, you know, and you just look around and people are on their phones everywhere, right? It, it's amazing to me. You'll get couples. I, me and Chris, we go out to eat or something. We, it's amazing to me how many of you will go on a date and then literally just be on your phones. It just, it's, it's like, what's happening? And so, and anybody else bothered by that? Is it just me? I, I cannot stand phones at the table. Does anybody else have a rule at their house that no phones at the table? No phones, no phones at the table. All right, here's another thing. Just question, is this bothers you? Do, do you know what that is? Airplane with a bag trying to save the seat in the aisle. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Do, yeah, <laughs> do you do that? <laughs> Does anybody do that? You would just admit that you go, yeah. You, and the, okay, a couple of you. I can't stand you. All right, so... Uh, Man, it's so, you know, you're going down the aisle. I look for the person with the bag. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll take that seat, you know, especially on the Southwest. You're like, so if you have your bag and I'm coming through, you need to move it or I will sit there. And uh, it's just, I think it's funny. People do that all the time. All right, does this bother you at all? Just got another one to show you. Broken escalators. Does that bother you too? I, I can't stand it. I don't know why, but I'm like, somebody call somebody. And, and I've never seen anybody working on them. I've never seen it. I just see them broken or working. Anyways, this. Wish I had a, somebody I could text. Hey, you got one down. All right, so finally this one. I know some of you are not bothered. That's Tom Brady with all of his rings. And um, does that bother any of you? Yeah. No? Because one of them is yours. But, but, bucks, but six of them is from the Patriots. Now all the Boston fans say amen, amen. All right. All right, just a little joke. Some things that, that bother you. So before we go any further, uh, I want to just kind of share the reason why I shared that with you is because I think Luke 15, 
uh, gives us a picture of what bothers the heart of God. I think when you look at scriptures and you see different things, I think you could make a clear case that lost people bother the heart of God. Like the people that are lost really do bother him. And I know some of the things we just said were humorous, and we could put all kinds of things up there, and, and I could show some more serious things or, you know, different photos and stuff, and you'd say, yeah, that really bothers me. But for the Lord, I think he's really bothered by lost people. I think it, it's something that really gets at his heart for sure. That's why he came. Uh, no question about it. Scripture is clear. I think these things bother him. So I want us to see it from that perspective that the Lord is certainly bothered by lost people. But let's do something. Let's look into our notes. Let's unpack some of this. What do we mean when we say the word lost? You, you, a lot of people have said that in church circles with lost, they're lost, you're lost. Some people take offense to that. You know, you're lost, you know, and then it's like, well, that seems kind of mean. Um, so what, what is it when we say lost? I want to bring some clarity to this. So the Greek word lost, uh, apolemi, means to perish, to be lost, to be ruined, or be destroyed. Okay, so I want you to keep that definition kind of in your mind, in your heart. And I've given you a few different words, a few different meanings, so you kind of have to take them into certain context. Whenever you're reading scripture and you see this word lost, kind of look within the context, within the story, so you can try to figure out which meaning is best applied in that context. So to perish, that actually there's a metaphorically for this word that could literally mean to be headed towards or perishing towards uh, the eternal hell. That's in some cases. And so, you know, be gentle with people. You know, you're lost. Well, you could be implying they're headed to hell. But at the same time, not everybody that's headed to hell, we'll see in just a minute, is necessarily lost. So not every lost person's headed to hell. And you'll see that in just a second. So I want you to just see the definition for what it is. Say, okay, I'm taking that in. Next thing I want to help you understand, I think this is true. We'll see this in a minute. That the lost people or lost can refer to unsaved or unbelievers. Being lost can refer to the unsaved. Now, notice I put the word can. It can refer to that. Now, we see that when we go through Luke 15 in a minute. We'll talk about the parable of the sheep and the coin. Well, actually, it's one parable, but three parts. So we talk about the sheep. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then the coin. Uh, I think that's referring to unbelievers or maybe even unsaved. You might say it, say it that way or it's kind of the same. But that can mean lost. So when we say the word lost, it can mean dealing with the unbeliever and the unsaved. In fact, most of the time, that's what people uh, will, will think about when they're using the term lost. Because the sheep wandered away, right? The sheep went away. We see that in Matthew 18. Uh, actually, you see the one in Luke 15, which is the one we're going to read today. It says the shepherd lost the sheep. But in Matthew 18, it says the sheep wandered away. So there is a wandering away. And there is people who leave intentionally or by choice or whatever that might be. The coin is lost. It's maybe been neglected, uh, but it's not found. And it can't find itself. We'll unpack that in just a minute. All right. So lost can refer to unsafe people. They're lost or they're perishing, headed towards hell potentially. Here's something else that I want you to understand. Lost can refer to the saved believer. And I want you to really think about that and kind of keep that in your heart as we unpack this parable today. Being lost can refer to the person who's saved, the believer who knows their way home but refuses to return. Now, where do I get that from? Well, the third part of this parable, the prodigal son. He never loses his sonship. I don't see how you could support that he is unsaved when he leaves the home. 
He's still son. Father still refers to him as son. There's still the father-son relationship. They are still in that. I think the son is still in a situation or a moment of, I believe, he's saved. He's left, but he's saved by grace. Amen? We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. The son decides to leave, and the father allows him to leave and can't wait for him to come home. So I want you to just kind of consider this for a minute. When you think about the word lost, you could have a person who is saved, a believer, who's also lost. And I think it's important to understand, make those distinctions when we think about the word lost. It's the believer. They know the way home, but they refuse to return. That's why on your communication card, you'll go to different churches at times or something and gathering places, and you'll see the word recommitment. Right? That is an acknowledgement of, I haven't lost salvation, but I've left home and I need to return today. Does that make sense? And so uh, you can lose this, uh, a ship at sea. And what do I mean when I say you, you've lost a, a ship at sea? Well, one, they could still be floating, just haven't found it yet. Two, it could be referring to the bottom of the oceans in the depths. Does that make sense? So you've got to think about context when you think about this word lose or to be lost. All right, so Jesus uh, talks about, in Luke 15, he talks about lost sheep. We'll unpack that in just a minute. But I want you to think about this when it's scripturally. I want to read a verse to you, Isaiah 53, verse 6. You can stay at Luke 15 if you're there. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, um, you know, who are the sheep? I just want to think about who, who are sheep. When Jesus talks about sheep and your sheep, and your, who, who are the sheep? Are the sheep believers or the unbelievers? Isaiah 53 helps us understand. We all, like sheep, so have gone astray. Each of us has turned to, to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul, I think, echoes this in Romans. He says, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. They're saying the same thing. Okay, we are all, at times in our lives, have gone astray. Every single one of you has been or is currently, okay, you fit in this category, been lost like a lost sheep. And for many, if not all of us, maybe, we wandered away on our own merit or our own decision. For a season, for a month, for a week, for years, Right? For a decade, for multiple decades. So I want you to understand when we talk about the word lost, what I, I'm hoping to unpack your mind is we can't just say, man, we need to get lost people and always just think about the person who's never heard the gospel. I think there's more people, or just as many, I shouldn't say more, there's probably just as many people who actually know the gospel who are lost as those who don't know the gospel and are lost. So let's just expand our mind when we think about this idea of being lost. So when we see the word lost, write this down in your notes, we keep this in mind. Lost in Scripture, I believe, I see it clearly, I could support it, I, I see this, anyone who's in danger of being destroyed. So when you, when you think about this danger thing, you think about this carelessness, and we'll see that in Ezekiel 34, but you see that the, the father's heart is wrecked. Remember what he said? He was, his heart, he was moved with splagnizomai, that is compassion. His, he had a deep issue in his gut over those who were like sheep without a shepherd. 
It, it really gets to him. And, and you say, why does this bother him? Because they're in a situation or scenario where they could be destroyed. You think about a sheep who leaves the flock and it's out on its own, no way to defend itself. And, and there's a, a potential for danger to encounter that sheep. And so I hope you understand and I hope you see it that in Scripture it could be anybody who's in a dangerous scenario. Well, being in danger of what? Well, John records for us Jesus' words. I think this helps understand. And even Jesus used the word shepherd here in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. That's dangerous, by the way, right? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, he says, in the same sentence. And by the way, if you go read the whole chapter of John 10, it's all about sheep and shepherds. So he makes this statement of John 10, this famous statement that people understand, thief comes to still kill and destroy. It's why Satan has come. And yet it's in the context of Jesus' teaching about sheep and shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, to go and save the sheep. Why? Because there's danger. Now you can talk about danger headed towards hell, danger without grace. You can have danger and the sin that's happening in your life and what it could do. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death, bringing death to your marriage, bringing death to your job, bringing death to your soul, bringing death to your peace. I mean, bringing death to your joy, bringing death to your contentment. I mean, the enemy's constantly trying to move us towards death or deathly things, things that would push us towards danger. Sin is dangerous, right? It's, it leads us away from the Lord. It leads us away from goodness. And so the Father says, my sheep are in danger. Now, here's the point. You could be a saved believer and have a season where you're in danger. Jealousy is dangerous. Jealousy often can lead to all kinds of sins. Envious is dangerous, right? I mean, think about all the things that being envious can do to our soul and end up comparing ourselves or whatever it might be. It's dangerous. Pride is dangerous. Lying is dangerous. So we can get in seasons or in scenarios where it's dangerous. And the Lord says, this is where I come in. This is what I care about. This bothers me. You're in a dangerous scenario, and I want to bring you back into my arms. I want to bring you out of dangerous scenarios where the thief comes to still kill and destroy. And I want to bring you in to have the life that I've intended for you to have, a good life, an abundant life, a satisfying life. This is the hope of the Father. So with that as some backdrop, that kind of helps us understand Luke 15, I think, a little bit better when we kind of consider all of that. So with that in mind, let's read Luke 15. We're going to go verses 1 through 10. I'll read them straight through, and then we'll unpack them a little bit. All right, so it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Now, if you have um, the notes or something, and you just want to circle that, if you have your Bible, you should circle that, because we're going to talk about that in just a minute. That's important. Their statement is very important. It sets up the whole teaching. It's why Jesus responds. The reason you have Luke 15 is because of what just got said or written down in verse 2. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 3 says, then Jesus told them this parable. Okay. So he tells them a parable. We've got three parts to this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And by the way, the title of today's message is Rejoice With Me. All right, verse 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I'm not going to get lost in this teaching, but he's not suggesting necessarily that the Pharisees don't need to repent. I just want you to understand that. All right, verse 8 goes into another part of the parable. The only thing that lines up verse 8, this is not three different parables. This is the parable of the prodigal son. Is it technically improper? It's the the parable of Luke 15. It's the three-part parable. All right, he adds on verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, so I'm going to give you five questions that I think we need to consider or ask as we study this passage of Scripture. Okay? Number one, what is the question that's being asked? It's really important for us to understand what is the question. Anytime you study the scripture, just think about what's the question being asked. In fact, in Jewish culture, one of the things that they would do to determine if you were fit to become a rabbi would be to, who could ask the best questions? Who could come up with questions and the right questions? So sometimes as the staff will sit down and I'll challenge the staff and I'll say, all right, let's talk about, now we use the word observations sometimes in our current context, but what are some things you observe? But what are some questions that come to your mind when you read the text? It's a good tool to ask. So what's the question being asked? Go back to verse two. What is, this man eats with sinners. It's really a question. In fact, earlier you know that, that they would say, why does this man eat with sinners? Right? It's really a question. Why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? Why are you gathering with them? Why are you hanging out with them? It's the question that sets up the answer. So I think that's important for you to understand because everything that you see in part one, two, and three of this parable goes back to answer that question. Why is Jesus gathering with sinners and tax collectors? And by the way, Pharisees are around him. Religious leaders are around him. Why is this mixed group of individuals around him? And then why do you hang out with these people? Of course, to a Pharisee, you can't hang around these people who are not like us, who aren't you know, doing all the right things. Why are you hanging around them? We saw in part one, remember when God redeems a prostitute, how he would put himself around people who were outcasts, women, people who were non-Jew. Why would he do that? So I think that's important as we consider. And the question, of course, that we understand is they're in danger. We understand that now. Well, the reason that Jesus puts himself around, because there's danger to them, and he cares about his lost sheep. All right, second question I want you to consider. Why the use of sheep and shepherd? You could use all kinds of analogies. So I put a couple of scripture verses. I'm going to give you homework to go just read through. It'll give you better understanding of why he uses sheep and shepherd. Now, some people say, well, it's just because it's agricultural society. He was speaking to the culture. And that's true, but it goes way deeper than that. Jesus wasn't just using sheep and shepherd because this is a common theme throughout Scripture. And he wasn't using sheep and shepherd just because of the fact there was an agricultural society and it would have made sense, although that's true. There's deeper, I think, understanding to that. When you read Ezekiel 34, you see God's heart towards Israel who had misled 
their flock. Ezekiel gives this, in fact, futuristic teaching. If you go read through Ezekiel 34, it's prophetic towards what's going to happen in the, in the future. But it's this idea that uh, Jesus' heart is broken over careless leaders. They have the nation of Israel being careless and not following the things that God has commanded to do. And God jumps in and says, this is what you read in Ezekiel 34. He steps in and says, so I'm going to be the good shepherd. I've asked you to do this, but you're, I'm finding you to be careless. So I'm going to come in, send my good shepherd. And he'll be the shepherd. And he says, I will scatter from all the nations back into this house. I will gather my flock. In other words, I will see to it that everyone that's within my grasp, within my care, will be gathered at the day of harvest. That is to say that the believers will rise up. So this is a deep teaching here. This isn't just using sheep and shepherd like I've said in a preschool teaching. These are religious leaders. These are smart individuals. So he's going deep with them and helping them understand of sheep and shepherd and why he uses that. Now, Exodus 22, verses 10 through 13, also something you should read. We won't put it up on the screen. But in Scripture, there are times and occasions where if you lost a sheep that you had borrowed from a neighbor, or if you had a sheep, so if somebody lets me have their sheep for a little while and I'm supposed to take care of the sheep, but then somewhere in the process I lose the sheep, under certain circumstances, I'd have to pay the guy who dropped the sheep off at my house and I didn't do a good job keeping care of him. And so I'd owe for the sheep. So when Pharisees are sitting there listening to this, in some cases they would understand, yeah, you have to go find it. If not, you're going to owe a lot of money for that sheep. So of course I'm going to leave the 99. I mean, there's, there's multiple reasons why God uses this and why Jesus uses this uh, statement of sheep and shepherd. God's frustration with careless shepherds is he frustrated with the Pharisees in this moment? Seems so. Seems to be implied, certainly, that if there's a frustration that he has, this is something you should know. We'll come to that at the very end of today's teaching. This is something you should know. So there's some frustration maybe there. So he gives that side to it, Ezekiel 34. At the same time, he resonates something in their hearts. You don't want to lose money and owe money for sheep. You're going to owe them a lot of money for this. So, of course, we're going to go search for it. Obviously, what other option do we have? Some of these Pharisees would have thought, yeah, I don't want to pay for that. Dumb sheep. So, of course, I've got to go search for it. So, this is why he uses sheep and shepherd. It's been a whole thing on that. Third question I want to have you consider. Why the use of a woman and a lost coin? I want you to pause when you read scripture and just ask, why? Why doesn't he just stop at this? He illustrated the point. Of course you do. There's value to the one, obviously. But why does he bring in a woman and a lost coin? I think it's absolutely critical that we understand why he does this. Now, of course, there's some biblical scholars, and it seems to be implied and certainly to be true, um, we know this in history, this is true, but it seems like Jesus is referencing a woman who is carrying a band on her head, would have had 10 coins. This would have been similar to a wedding band. 
And so uh, if you're married, uh, ladies, just look at your wedding band for a minute. Just look at it and yeah, yeah, give him a kiss if he's near you and say, thank you, you're amazing, okay? And then, now husbands, uh, go ahead and look at that ring that maybe you bought her. Go ahead, be reminded of that. Oh yeah, remember all that money you spent and all that work you did? Okay, or maybe you have tattoos, I don't know, whatever you have. Okay, so, so here, here's, here's the, this, this, the idea is that the woman uh, often would carry this uh, band on her head or you know, have a band and kind of a symbolic of their marriage, and then she lost a coin. Maybe similar, if you would feel this, would be to losing a diamond. I remember the first year, I think, year and a half uh, of our marriage, my wife, her diamond fell out. And so we had the insurance and, and all that stuff got it all replaced. But I remember she's like, ah, you know, and I was like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, so, but, you know, you kind of had that empathy, you know, you could kind of understand. So, so why does Jesus use this story of a woman and a lost coin. I think it's pretty simple in my opinion. He's bringing the women in, which in that culture is something you don't do. He's trying to teach the religious leaders why he's hanging around sinners and tax collectors, but he's also going to teach them, we know in John 4 with the woman at the well, this is why we're here to reach women too. I know I'm going to break your minds today, Pharisees. I'm going to blow your minds, but these are my daughters too, and they matter to me. So I think he's got an audience, it seems to me, of men and of women, sinners and tax collectors, those marginalized on the outside and all kinds of people, all kinds of messed up people, all kinds of people who are lost, including women, to which in that culture was, why are they even here? They don't have much value to them. They have a couple things they need to be doing and not much else. I think Jesus is getting deep into this idea that, that women matter to the kingdom of God. They have a place at the table. And so he, he gets to the men who are shepherd, to the sheep. Men are involved. And he's like, ladies, I haven't forgotten you. So let me speak to something that you can understand. Look at your wedding band. Imagine you're losing a diamond. Would you go search for it? Now, also, the amount of work that goes into this. Because in these homes, it wasn't like there's was electricity. So you're talking about this is really hard to have to sweep a house that has dusty floors in and of itself, most likely, made of some type of clay or stone, maybe, an amount of work and effort that would go into sweeping the house to find a coin that maybe even matches or looks similar to the floor. And the women are like, yeah, if I lost my diamond, I'd be going crazy for it, right? And the women are get drawn in into the story. I think that's important to consider, something to think about. What Jesus is getting at is he answers the question, why am I sitting here with these people? He's trying to get to them understand that. Fourth question I think is important. How were the lost sheep and coin found? Just think about that. How were they found? One, a shepherd went and got the sheep. The other one, a woman goes out to find a coin. How are they found? Well, lost sheep and coins... We know this, don't get found unless someone goes find them. Someone goes and searches. That's a very important teaching. They don't get found. What's the question? Why am I sitting here? They can't be found unless someone comes and tells them. Isn't that what the scriptures say later on? How will they know the good news of Christ? How will they hear it unless somebody, what, tells them? Lost sheep and lost coins don't get found unless you sit down at a table and tell them. Now, this stuff should have been obvious to the Pharisee, to the religious people. This should be clear. How is it not clear? 
course I've got to sit with them. How will they know unless I tell them? This is his teaching in this. Key truth, lost people often don't know they're lost. Kind of like men who are without directions, you know, you think you know where you're going and you don't, you know, <laughs> don't even know you're lost. Remember that before GPSs? Thank God for the iPhone GPS, right? But I think it's true that lost people, in fact, most lost people that I speak with, now remember, remember, this is not talking about just unbelievers. I'm also talking about believers. I'm also talking about people who are saved by the same grace you're saved by, and they don't even know they're lost because they say, well, I believe in Christ, and they do, and they carry the name Christian, and they do, and they're saved by that cross and that grace. Yet I find some of the most lost people are people who are actually saved, and they don't even know they're lost. And that should be alarming to us. Here you have the Pharisees as a part of the audience too, and they think they're found. I mean, they're doing it all. They're doing great works according to the law. Yet, they're lost. I heard a story recently about, uh, not recently, but yeah, I read the story recently, I should say, um, about a kid who was lost at Disney World. And uh, at some point, get separated in the crowds, and uh, the kid just gets kind of pulled away by, you know, all the Mickey Mouse stuff or whatever, and he just kind of gets all wrapped up into that. He's having so much fun, and he sees the toys, and he gets all excited, and he's just so immersed in what's happening around him that he doesn't even notice he's lost. And so the parents begin to panic, and they freak out. They can't find him, so they go tell security, hey, we lost our son. We don't know what to do. Security gets involved. Eventually, security guard finds him, brings him back to the kid. The kid's like, what are you talking about, mom, dad? Mom and dad are going crazy, crying. Kids there at Disney World be like, this is awesome, man. This is great. This is fun. Doesn't even notice that he's, whole, that he's lost ever. And I think about that story and I think about who we are in that story. Security guard. Trying to get people who don't even know they're lost back into the father's arms. I remember a couple of years ago was uh, at a, with my sister. We were at this, uh, uh, with this like thing in Orlando where they have this ice thing. You know, kind of the, the, the what's the big hotel? Um, the Gaylord Palms, yeah, or whatever it is. And, and so we went there and had this ice stuff and we lost our... Emery, our daughter, like we were, yeah, and we had never lost a child. We have a lot, so give us grace. And, um, but, but uh, so, so I think she was on like two, maybe three at the time. So she's little. And it was the only time that I legitimately lost. Like sometimes you can't find them, and then you're like, oh, there they are. This was like the moment where I'm like, we literally don't know where she is. And, um, and so we start to scramble and we begin to just like run. And I just took off running, just trying to look. And so we're looking and she's just gone and um, couldn't find her. And then all of a sudden this guy, you know, this guy 
brings her over. And it, I don't think it was a security person. It was just a, another man, a dad who had found her and brought her over to us. And we're like, thank you so much. And I remember the, the feeling of both. If you ever lost a child in a situation like this, you, you know what I'm talking about. And your heart just falls apart and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, the worst case scenario. And just panic and freak out. And then somebody brings your child to you and the amount of like, gratitude and joy that you have, not just that they're back, but also to the person who brought them back. I mean, there's just nothing that can express that. And just thank you. I'm, I thank you. Like, thank you. I mean, thank you, you know. And to them, they're like, and this is the amazing part, to, to, to those people, and to, to this man who brought, it's like, of course. Of course. Is there any other option? <laughs> well, of course, but Just think about that as you play that role as you leave today and how the father heart breaks over his lost children and he can't wait for you to rejoice with him. Like, and, and that dad that was there with me and the security guard in the Disney World, right? It's like, I feel good. That was great. I was able to re- restore a relationship that was lost and that's what we're to do. I believe that's clear in the Scripture. And so the fifth question and final question, how will you respond to his invitation? I want you to notice the text where Jesus says, rejoice with me, rejoice with me, rejoice with me. And when we get into Luke 15 and the prodigal son side of this, what does this say? The older brother and the son, they couldn't rejoice. The older brother can't rejoice with the son's home. And the father's like, just rejoice with me on this. Like you're missing the joy and I'm trying to bring you in. Rejoice with me. The word rejoice in the Greek is to rejoice or to take part in another's joy. It's to share in the joy. He's like, come on, rejoice with me about this. There's so much joy to be had. Like you're missing out on the joy with me when you don't go find these lost sheep. Like there's joy there. I want you, and I'm inviting you to share in the joy of bringing in these lost sheep. There's so much joy. You think about JIJ and what they do. And I can only imagine that whenever there's a, a legal battle won, the joy on a team, I imagine. The labor was worth it. Like we did, amen, you know, and uh, a, a woman comes home, you know, or a woman gets off the streets or Somebody gets put in justice is done, per se, and they get put in a jail. We're like, amen. Like, like, there's just joy there. And this is the invitation that Jesus makes to all of us. There's joy here when you help bring one of my lost home, when you restore that relationship. Rejoice with me, Jesus says. And the Pharisees should have known this because God's been doing it from the very beginning. Last verse, Genesis 3, says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord their God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This happens just after the fall of man. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
why do I read that verse in this context of Luke 15? Because I think it's absolutely like so important you understand. Pharisees, you're asking a question that you should know the answer to. Why am I sitting with these people? Because they're in danger. And they've been in danger from the very beginning. And I have been pursuing from the very beginning. My first mission was to reach out to those to seek and save that which was lost, and that began in Genesis 3. How could you not know why I'm sitting at the table? The first thing that Jesus did, the first thing that God did when the fall of man happened, like the first thing he did was go and search for them. Adam, Eve, where are you? I've been pursuing the lost from the beginning. Why? Because sin has entered and you're in danger because of it. And so I'm the good shepherd and I've come. And then the good shepherd, John 10, says he lays down his life for the sheep. And if you continue reading Genesis 3, and if you are a believer and you know the story, he sacrifices an animal and the first act of grace that he does is clothe them. And there's a sacrifice and blood is spilled and he wraps the clothing around him and says, wear this so you don't have to live in shame any longer because they were ashamed of their nakedness. No, no shame upon you anymore. Wear this. I've been pursuing from the very beginning and to the audience, this is shocking. This is a God who searches after. He seeks after believers and unbelievers. Anyone who's in danger of being lost. And then he makes the invitation to you and me to do the same. Who is this God that he would look to humanity like you and me, lost people, finding lost people, people who know the way home? And he looks at me, he invites us into this beautiful story. So I want to encourage you today as I wrap up, and we'll sing a song, and we'll be done. God loves you this way. Did you notice the scripture says that the angels in heaven rejoice when this one is found. And I just felt impressed to remind you today that God loves you so much the same way. That when he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and you said yes to your father and you came home to him, I just want to remind you today that there was a day that angels in heaven rejoiced over that. But I'm going to go a step further. It wasn't just on the day of salvation that heaven and angels rejoice. Scripture says, anytime they repent, angels in heaven rejoice. We often think that angels in heaven rejoice when the sinner comes home, when somebody is saved. It's true. But angels in heaven also rejoice when just one of you repents. Wrap your head around this. Come on. Wrap your head around this. Anytime you change the way you think, even if you've been a believer for 15 years, I just want you to think about every time you said yes to the Lord and no to sin, angels in heaven threw a party for that decision. We've, we've taught this idea that it's when sinners come, it's only when salvation comes. Not true. It's anytime any one of you, any one of us, repents. Angels in heaven. 
they're back home. They're back home. And they celebrate in heaven over us and as we come back. And if we wander away for a week, wander away for a year, come back, just think about how many parties in heaven have been thrown over you. Maybe for some of you, it's none. It's like, I've never come home. Give my life to Jesus. I plead with you today. Give your life to the Lord. He's a good shepherd. He cares and he loves you. But today, I want to invite you to do something. Would you stand up as we dismiss here just a minute? I invite you for a moment to just reflect upon this as a believer. If you're a believer in the room, I, I hope this encourages your spirit today. We're going to sing this song, He's Worthy of It All. And as we sing this song, I just hope that somewhere in your spirit you're encouraged today. That angels in heaven, please hear me on this, still rejoice over your salvation. I want you to know that the Spirit of God does not come to condemn you. So don't feel condemned. He came to save you. Be reminded today, church, how much he loves you. And even when you feel like a Pharisee or somebody who's like just not living this way or not living perfectly or when you lose your way, that that the Father still pursues you and he's always been pursuing and always will pursue you and even when you walk away by choice, he waits at the door for you and anytime you return back, another party in heaven for you. And I hope that your spirit is encouraged today by that. And he loves you so much. No matter how long you served him, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you so much. And he makes the invitation for you and for me to rejoice with him anytime someone else comes back. Jesus, we thank you. We come with a posture of gratitude. We declare you're worthy. And so, Father, we're not in sadness. Lord, let our hearts not be sad. God, we rejoice today. We rejoice, Lord. Thank you, God, for coming after your lost sheep. Thank you that you you left heaven and you came after us. And when we turn our back, you still come after us. And you wait for us. And you send others to find us. And we thank you, Lord. Lord, this gospel will never grow cold or old in our hearts. We're forever grateful. Even when we walk away, or our passion is lost. A love is lost. Your grace still abounds more. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. You are still worthy. Jesus, we give you our praise. Church, would you just give them praise, would you? Lift your hands. Would you say thank you, Lord? Would you rejoice with them? You are worthy of it all. Yes, Lord. You are worthy of it all. Just let him know he's worthy, church. For from you are all.
glory. Aren't you grateful he came after you? You are worthy. 